your business, media, and all other things. The world defines and governs how we think in these spheres. Yet, there is a Christian way of thinking about these things. We read earlier in Mark where Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And his response, he, he quoted the Shema, which begins, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than this. And here Jesus is reminding us that a failure to love God with our minds is both a scandal and a sin. It is a scandal because it prevents us from being true witnesses of Christ. And it is a sin because we are disobeying the command to love God with our minds. You see, the mind is a gift from God. And we need it as students, which most of us here are. We need it to study. We need it as human beings to relate with one another. And yet, of greater importance, we need it to know and worship God, the very one who gave it to us. Proverbs reminds us that as a man thinks, so he is. And unless we are suffering from a deficiency or something of that nature, the way we think influences how we act, our decisions. And so it is important, it is very vital that we learn to think about the writings and we learn to think in the right way. And the text that we read in Philippians 4, Paul reminds the Philippians earlier, before that in chapter 2, of kind of society and generation they live in. In chapter 3, he, he calls it a crooked and twisted generation. But yet, in the midst of it, he calls them to shine as lights. And in the immediate uh, verses before 8 and 9, he talks about uh, two sisters in the Philippian church who were, who were quarreling. And then he goes, he goes on to talk about anxiety. And tells them not to be anxious about anything. And you see, disunity and anxiety are negative things, negative thoughts would govern us. See, it's possible that as we are gathered here this morning, our minds are filled with challenges. Our minds are filled with worries. And as many of us have just finished exams, our our minds are filled with what the results would be. And so we are anxious. Anxiety is real. But here Paul is drawing their attention to 
The fact that rather than dwelling on anxieties and struggles and these negative thoughts that are so much real, rather they should think about positive things which he lists in verse 8. And as he describes this, uh, the word there he used for think, it's not just to, you know, remember something. Rather, it is, the point he's driving here is that they should meditate, ponder, continue. They should make it a habit. In a sense, they should bring their faculties, their minds, constantly to bear on these things. It is a call to action. See, our minds will always attach itself to something. And as I said earlier, it is vital, it is important that we attach our minds to the right things. And here Paul lists about six things that he wants them to attach their minds to. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable. And he summarizes them in two words. Things that are excellent. Things that are worthy of praise. And yes, all these things are positives. They are positive things to think about. And because they are positive things, some people have attempted to misapply this verse. And we probably hear of, you know, positive thinking. The law of attraction. That someone can, you know, create the future by thinking them into existence. And so if you just sit down and, and think about positive things, by the fact of you thinking about them, you will be able to attract them to yourself. And so the goal is to drive away positive, negative thinking, rather, or negative energy, as some people will call it, and only attract Positive energy and positive thoughts to yourself. Yet, that is unbiblical. You know, certainly we should think of positive things. But we can never assume that we can create reality with our thoughts. And that very fact is, it's an attack on the very first thing that Paul calls on them here to think about. To think about what is true. And the question we might ask ourselves first is what is truth? And that is the very question that Pilate asked Jesus cynically, but he never waited for the answer. You see, truth is reality, it is what defines reality. The truth is whatever conforms with reality. And we are not the ones who create reality. We are not the ones who define reality. It is God who defines reality. 
It is God who defines what is truth. And the truth is not dependent on whether you believe it or not. One plus one is two, whether you believe it or not. God is, whether you believe it or not. And again, truth is not true for you and not true for another person. And we hear that a lot. You know, this is true. It might be true for you. Maybe for you it is true that Jesus died on the cross. But for me it is not true. No. It does not depend on you. It depends on God who defines reality. And the Bible reminds us in Deuteronomy that God is the rock. He is perfect. All his ways are just. He is a God of truth and without injustice. In John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John 16, Jesus says that the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. And he is the one who will guide us into all truth. And so God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the God of truth. And because he is the God of truth, his word is true. Whatever he says is true. The sum of his word is truth. And when Jesus prays, he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And so if God is true and since he is truth, on the other hand, the devil does not stand in the truth. There is no truth in him. His character and nature is to lie and deny the truth. He is the father of lies. And we know that the world is under his power and the whole world lies in his power. And so we should not be shocked when the word lies. But yet we should be shocked when we believe the word's lies and reject God's truth. And when we see the lies going on around, when we see the world's lies being portrayed in, in music and TV and in all that and round about us and we, we sit down and we, and we imbibe these things and we are influenced by them in ways that we can't describe, then we are not doing what we are called to do here. To think about what is true is to dwell and to think about the God who is truth and to dwell on his word, which is true. We are to fix our minds and our thinking on God's word. And the application is, is very clear for many of us. If I compare how many minutes I spend on TV, watching the world's lies, and compare that with how many minutes I spend reading God's word or thinking about him, 
or meditating on his word. I leave that for us individually to, to answer. But we cannot say that we do not have time. Because when we calculate the average time we spend dwelling on the I'm not saying that we should completely disengage ourselves from it. It's not possible. But if we are not filling ourselves with, with God's word, with the truth, there is no way that we can identify the lie. And again, the fact is, our minds will be attached to something. And second, he says, think on what is honorable. Some versions call it noble. They refer to it as what is reverent, worthy of worship and respect. It is that we should not be treated with impiety or dishonored. And when we are thinking about the deacons and their wives in 1 Timothy and in Titus, the, the very word there, that they should be dignified, being worthy of esteem or respect. But is God honored and respected in the world today? Is God treated with reverence in our minds? See, it is the Lord who is worthy of ultimate respect, honor, reverence, and worship. And so if we are to dwell on the things that are honorable, things that are worthy of admiration and respect, our minds should be dwelling on God. The third word which he wants, the third thing rather, which he wants them to think about is things that are just. And this leads us to fix our thoughts on things that lead to right living. It is about a person's character and action. Daniel tells us the, the story of his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And when Nebuchadnezzar made his golden calf, and he called on people to, to bow down to it, and Daniel's friends refused. And their response to him was quite staggering. They said, Your Majesty, we would not try to defend ourselves. If the God whom we serve is able to save us from the blazing furnace and from your power, that he, then he will. But if he doesn't, your majesty, may you be sure that we will not worship your God and we will not bow down to the, God, to the gold statue that you have set up. The King James actually says, O king, we, we, will not, we don't even need to answer you in this. They had set their mind on doing what is right, regardless of the consequences. But you see, when we do not set our minds to think and dwell on the things that are right, we are forced to compromise. Many of us might not be, or will never be in the situation of Daniel and his friends. But in every single day, 
we are always faced with a choice of what is right or what is wrong. And it was a similar choice that Joseph and David faced in different situations. But Joseph chose the right thing and the just thing to do. But David chose the opposite. See, if we are going to act right, then we have to think of what is right. We have to ask ourselves, does this very act honor and glorify God? And again, if we are to think of what is right, of what is just, then our minds have to dwell on God. Our minds have to be filled with his word. The fourth thing that we are to think about is what is pure. And here it refers to what is clean and holy, undefiled. The things that are set apart, sanctified. It could be used for things that are sexually pure, but it seems to be a very general list of things that are clean and pure here. When we, when we think of the things that are, that are pure, we might spend a lot of time thinking of what is so to us today as entertainment. But rather than just going on think, uh, discussing that, is it possible that before watching, listening, or reading, you ask yourself, is what I'm watching, reading, or listening considered to be pure or clean by God's standard? The Bible tells us what God's standard is. And if we are not dwelling on his word, we would never know what is pure, what is clean. We have two more, lovely and commendable. It says, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. And lovely here, it promotes brotherly love or affection. So just as one is, is drawn to admire a beautiful structure. We are called to, to think about things that are beautiful. We are called to think about things that are commendable, things that are of good report, of repute, rather than rumors and stories that tear people down. And here we see Yudi and Sintike quarreling. And we know how gossips tear people apart. And someone comes to you and says, have you heard about this regarding so-so-and-so person? Well, is it really necessary that I hear it? Or is it just, you know, another report of the person that then will drive me or draw me to thinking of the person 
in a negative way. No. We are to dwell on the things that are of good report. We are to dwell on things that are, that are beautiful. We are to dwell on things that, that are lovely. The things that are excellent. The things that are virtuous. The things that are praiseworthy. That God approves. So what fuels your thoughts? What fuels your mind every single day? And the things that fuel our thoughts, that fuel your mind, is depending on what you put in it. It's so most of us here, we are we are young and God's sparing our lives. We, we have years more to live. And this moment is when we, we have birth to really spend time knowing and loving God. And serving him not just with our strength, but with our minds. You know, if you do not cultivate your mind, you will eventually lose it. Because just like your body grows old, and just as you get weak, your mind also gets old. There are times that when I forget something, I, I joke about it, that, oh, I'm getting old. And whenever I say that, before Pastor James, he just looks at me and shakes his head. But the fact is, we all are getting old. And we all will get old. And if we do not cultivate that gift that God has given us at this time, we will lose it. And so what you are investing your time on now really matters. Or you may say, you know, I, I have all these things I need to go after. Yes, that, no one is saying you shouldn't. But one thing we cannot say is that we do not have time to really Study God's word. To really have it fill our minds. To really allow it to dominate our thinking. And from calling on them to think of what is right. Here Paul is connecting that, reminding them that thinking affects our practice. See, he says, practice these things, the things that you have heard, received, and, and seen in me. Practice them. And we might think, oh, it's, it's Paul here putting himself as the supreme example. No, we know that he, 
he was in prison when he wrote this. But at the beginning of the letter, he had already shown them who the supreme example is, which is Christ. And in their midst, he had pointed them to the examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus, who he says, do not seek their own interests like others, but that of Jesus. And he's saying, if you are thinking right, then you will be living like these good examples among you. They are good examples because they are walking like Christ Jesus. In chapter 2, he, he calls on them to have the same mind, one mind, the very mind which was in Christ Jesus. You see, we need good examples. We need people who will model good examples for us. And yes, Jesus is the ultimate example. But you see, Jesus is not just our example. He is our Savior. And when we think of our minds and ask, okay, how, how is it possible for for Jesus to be a savior of my mind. You know, times some of my friends who are funny people would say, oh, it seems you think only of hymns. I tell them, well, maybe you don't know what's going on in my mind. Because definitely that's not the only thing I think of. Because if you know what goes on in my mind, you probably wouldn't want to listen to me preach. And if I know what is going on in your mind, I probably would never want to talk to you. And so we are all, all on equal footing there. The fact is, the natural mind, the Bible describes it as one that is immoral, one that does not submit to God, one that does not please God. And so what do we need? We do not just need examples to follow. We need a new mind. We need a mind that is washed, a mind that is sanctified, a mind that is pure. Ultimately, we need the mind of Christ. That is what we all need. Because if we are going to think like Christians, then we need the mind of the very one who is the perfect one. We need the mind of Christ. So friends, the, the very first thing to, to do to cultivate a Christian mind is to have a renewed mind. And that's why we read in Romans chapter 12. If you can turn back there. Romans 12. Where Paul writes, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And if you have a mind of Christ, if your mind has been made new, then you have to continually think and dwell on the things that you know Christ thinks and dwells on. 
And those are things that are true. Things that are honorable. Things that are commendable. Things that are pure. Things that are just. Not the things that the world thinks of. Not those twisted, immoral, debased things that the world dwells and thinks on. Here, Paul had labored in Romans 2. They talk about what God had done. And he describes the, the mind of the, that is set on the flesh in chapter 8 as one that is hostile to God, that doesn't submit to his law because it cannot. But he says, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, then Christ dwells in you and his mind dwells in you. If you are a believer here this morning, you have the mind of Christ. And if you are to walk in that step, you have to cultivate that mind. You have to love God with your mind. And so we go back to our question. How is your mind this morning? Is it filled with anxieties? Is it filled with worries? Is it filled with lust? Is it filled with greed? Or is it filled with the things of God? You can't change your mind. You can't purify your mind. Only God can. And the good thing is you can bring it to him and ask him to make it new. Amen.